0: Thank you, Sue, for praying. We um, continue in our series today on waiting and resting on God. And so uh, as it's Christmas Eve, it's exciting to be looking into God's word and seeing what we are, are to see today. But my question for you, though, is what are you doing on February 3rd? How will you think about Christmas on February 3rd? Anybody made plans for that yet? No? Um, you're thinking, I'm still trying to get my plans straight for today, and tomorrow. Christmas is tomorrow. Why do you care about February 3rd? Um, What we're about to read takes place 40 days after Jesus is born, yet it's included in the birth narratives about Jesus, so that would be like February 3rd. Imagine you don't hear anything about jesus being born until february 3rd 40 days later what's going on right well follow along with me um let's read this text of people who have been waiting a lifetime for the messiah and don't see him until 40 days after he's born this is luke chapter 2 verses 21 through 38 on the eighth day Uh, So this part is eight days afterwards, but we'll get to the part that's 40 days after. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. When the time came for purification, rights required by the law of Moses, this is 40 days later, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all the nations, a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Consolation. It's the prize for losers. Like all those playing in bowl games now before New Year's Day, right? (laughs) I got a big thumbs down for that. Consolation. It's the comfort after disappointment when your child opens that present and says, this isn't the one I wanted. Consolation. It's the comfort that people are looking for when they've waited for a long, long time for healing. Consolation. When people of Israel, God's people, had waited for hundreds of years, centuries for the Messiah. It's what Simeon says he's waiting for, the consolation of Israel. The comfort of God to come to his people. That's what he had longed for and waited for, and the Spirit told him he would see that day. Now, what is this scripture trying to show us, given that it's this consolation, this longing, and this waiting? How are we to wait and rest upon God? And I think the things that that struck me that I want to try to get to you today from this text are... That in order for us to be waiting and resting upon God, we need to know our need for salvation, first of all. Secondly, we need to see the Savior. And third, serve the sovereign Savior. And so those are my three points. Needing a Savior, seeing the Savior, and serving the Savior. It starts out with circumcision on the eighth day. So the parent, Mary and Joseph, are following the law, and on the eighth day, the, the child is taken to be circumcised. And so they would do this locally right somewhere and he was born in Bethlehem so they do that in Bethlehem and he, he gets circumcised but then these other rites and purification so the redemption of the child or sometimes called the the dedication of the of the firstborn to God this is what they had to do and go to the temple and present baby Jesus as um, being dedicated to God in this way and then the purification rite was for um, a woman after childbirth and delivery and all the blood it makes her in Old Testament law it makes her unclean and, and the father probably in this case, because he probably helped deliver, being in a stable, they're both unclean because of the blood. So they can't go to temple to celebrate. They can't go to church. So when the 40 days is up, they're ready. like, let's go to church. And so they go, and they're undergoing these purification rites. That's what they're doing. And so that's kind of fascinating in itself. I'm like, okay, I don't understand all that. You can go back and read the laws on that and think about that, the Le- Levitical laws. But one of the things that it does show us is it shows us that a child is a gift of God and is to be dedicated and raised in faithfulness to God, right? That's one of the things that we do, right, when we do an infant baptism. It's one of the things we're saying, Um, committing a child to God and under the blessings of God and raised in faithfulness to God. Note here that Mary and Joseph are a dedicated religious family, right? This is what they're doing. They're following all the requirements of the law. They're faithful people, and yet for them, the faithful people, they cannot approach God without sacrifice. They have to go and make sacrifice. And yet they're bringing with them the one who is to be the sacrifice. And in so doing, Jesus is perfectly fulfilling all the requirements of the law, who will then become the sacrifice for Jew and Gentile alike, for all the nations. And then we're told in verse 30, which we're not going to look at right now, but um, it talks about salvation, where Simeon says, I've seen the salvation, right? And so this language that we have right from the beginning is, you you don't have to put that up right now, um, is that this salvation is needed, and it's talked about a salvation, like we need the salvation. It's talked about a purification, right, and dedication. So we got to be purified from something that we're not clean for, that we're dirty, right? That's one way of describing, like, man, you got to get right. Like, you stink, right? Okay? Then there's, like, dedication. You better get committed. You better get real, serious, okay? And then there's salvation, like, you ain't going to be able to do it. You need somebody else to rescue you. The, the whole point of what's going on here as they're coming is that they are, yes, fulfilling the law, but in doing so, it demonstrates very clearly that Mary and Joseph need A savior. They need a savior. They are also have the savior in their family, which is what makes them unique in history. And so the truth that you and I need to understand here is that you and I are in more desperate condition than we usually realize. That is to say, that your sins are far worse than you think they are. If you were to go and and read all these laws and says this is what God says you got to do in order to approach God and and be clean and right with God. Like, there's a lot of things that you and I have done wrong. And we are far more worse than we think we are. Because we all tend to think pretty good of ourselves. And that means you've got to condition a problem that you can't resolve. You need a Savior. Once I was having fun playing in the Rapids at Pony Pasture here in Richmond um, on the James River. And uh, it was summertime, it was nice, it was warm, and the water was flowing nicely, but it, it was below any kind of uh, safety level where a life jacket was required or anything like that. So it was swamped with people, lots of people out playing. And you kind of go out in the rocks and sit in the rocks and slide through, and there's one spot where you can jump in and land on this firm flat rock that's got grass on it. And if you land just right, you can stay on your feet and slide, and the water pushes you downstream, and it's kind of fun. And so I did that, and I floated about 50 yards downstream. And Then I peeled off and got on this rock and was standing there. And I get back up and I look, and there is an inner tube with probably a three-year-old clinging to it and a mom behind paddling as fast as she can with a look of horror on her face. I'm like, oh, no, they're in trouble because there's more rapids downstream behind me. So they're coming right past this rock where I peeled off and grabbed the rock. So I'm on the rock, and I reach out, and I grab the tube and the kid get the kid in one, kid in one arm, and then stick my hand out, and the mom grabs my hand and swings around, and we almost both slide in, but we don't, and she comes out of the water, and they're okay, and they, were, they ended up being fine. And um, it, it was a scary moment. And the child was scared, but didn't fully realize the danger he was in. The mother was terrified, because she knew the danger that was to come. She's like, we desperately need rescue. And she's flailing in the water saying, help. And so she got help, and she's rescued. Who needed rescue? Both of them did, right? Both of them needed rescue, even though their capabilities were different. Even though the kid couldn't swim clinging to a tube, and the mom is, after trying, scrambling, trying to get there, but is struggling herself, like, different capabilities, both needed rescue. Neither one of them could save themselves. Of the two, who knew that they needed rescue? Probably both. I mean, the kid was scared. He could see what was going on with mom in the, in the rapids and stuff. But the mother was far, far more aware of the danger. Now, now, why am I telling you this? I'm telling you this to demonstrate something about need. You might be slightly aware that there's danger and kind of think you're having fun floating on a tube. Or you may be terrified seeing the danger to come. The outcome's the same. You still need rescue. You need a Savior whether you think you need this much of a Savior or like this much of a Savior. And the truth is, the situation's worse than you think it is. And the question for us today is, do we really think? Do you and I? Most of you probably here today would say you're a Christian follower of Jesus. And some of you might be here and kind of curious and thinking and considering, and, I, and I'm glad you're here. Do you and I, all of us, do we think we need rescue? Right? Do we think without Christ, we're, we're in deep trouble, fast-moving waters with rapids ahead? You think, well, yeah, like, I'm, like I feel like sometimes I'm drowning. I definitely need help. And what we really need from Jesus is not simply a rescue in the midst of our struggle, though oftentimes we're in that struggle. We need resuscitation and new life. We need new life. I mean, let me put this to you a different way. It's Christmas time. Santa's already made his list, and the sleigh's on its way. And the question is, are you on the nice or the naughty list? And the truth that you and I need to deal with is every one of us are on the naughty list. That's what scripture is saying. People of the world, you're on the naughty list. You need a savior. Because you can't put yourself in a position to save yourself or be good enough to do it. Now, Jack Miller, uh, who is with the Lord, uh, lived some years ago, uh, used to have this phrase that he would say uh, that's become popular, cheer up, you're worse than you think you are. Why why do I want to cheer up because I'm worse than I think I am? And he would say, cheer up, you're worse than you think you are. And the good news is that God loves you far more than you ever dreamed possible. And that's the good news of Jesus. It is amen-worthy. That's the good news of Jesus. So we need to understand that we need a Savior. But then we also have to see that Savior. This is the, the second point, right? It's easy for us to... Romanticize the Christmas account. Like when we come and we're here and we do a candlelight thing later and we're like, this is amazing and it's awesome. And it is, it's fun, it's great, it's traditional, and it's it's easy for us to romanticize it and think, there was these angels that appeared to the shepherds. I mean that probably lit up the whole sky like the northern lights, and everybody all over Israel saw it. But apparently not, Simeon didn't, Anna didn't, they didn't know. Bethlehem's only six miles away from Jerusalem. And they're coolest. I was like, when I read that, I was like, what? How did not everybody know? I thought the angels came and everybody knew. But apparently not. Now, everybody in Bethlehem, maybe, because the angels appear to these shepherds out in the field. They go into town. The innkeeper obviously knows because the baby's born that day there. And the shepherds were told spread the word to everybody around. And so it spread, we know, through Bethlehem for sure. It, spreads, it has to spread some more, because on the eighth day, they take Jesus to get circumcised, right? And that's when the naming occurs. And they're like, what's his name? Well, the angel said we had to name him Jesus. The what? Huh? Well, let me tell you the story. So, right? And so it's spreading, and people are like, oh, whoa. Because this believable. Can this be? But it's still kind of contained to Bethlehem. I, maybe that's many reasons. Maybe, maybe the people are like, yeah, the, did you hear what the shepherd said? They were hitting it a little too hard last night, a little saucy. They think they saw angels. (laughs) Like, I don't know, maybe the 40-day news cycle ran its course, and it was old news by now, and they're like, ah, whatever, next thing. But whatever the case is, when they go to Jerusalem with Jesus, most of the people there are unaware of what's happened. At least that's the way Luke presents it to us. And so Simeon is moved by the Spirit to go to the temple that day because he was promised that he would see the Messiah. And so, why does Simeon rejoice? Would you put verse 30 on the screen again for me? What does Simeon say? This is part of his song here. He says, for my eyes have seen your salvation. They come in, and Simeon is like, there he is! And Mary and Joseph are like, who? And he grabs the child into his arms, and he praises God, and says, I have seen your salvation. Here, in this child, it moves him to sing. It moves him to sing this song and to rejoice. When he says this, he also says in that song that, my eyes have seen your salvation, and he says, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. At the beginning of this series, on December 3rd, we talked about light. And how God's light intrudes into our darkness. And we talked about light and glory and the glory of God. And and I'm going to not do that whole thing. You can go listen to it. But just real quickly, you need to understand that phrase, the glory of God and what that means. That's referring to God in the Old Testament descending either by pillar of fire or cloud amongst his people or on the temple. And they're saying the glory cloud is with us. God is present here with us. And Moses says... To God, after the people rebel and, and make a golden calf after they promise to be faithful to God and yeah we promise we promise and weeks have gone by and they're like whatever let's, find, let's worship something else and they wander from God and Moses comes down and breaks the ten commandments goes back to God and he's like God says we're going to do it again and you're going to lead them and Moses says if you want me to lead that group of people you are going to have to show me your glory What is he saying when he says that? He's saying, God, if I'm going to do this, I need some assurances that your presence is going to be with us. And so God says, okay, Moses, and he puts him in a cleft of the rock in the mountain, and he says, I will walk by you, and when I pass by, I will show you my glory. And then in Exodus 34, we're told that all his goodness, his goodness passes by him, and he proclaims, I am the Lord, faithful, merciful this is who i am and he says i'm with you i'm the one who is faithful i'm the one who won't break my promises i'm the one who's merciful and gracious slow to anger abounding in love i am with you so you can lead them with that confidence now why is that important Because when Simeon sings this song and says, My eyes have seen the salvation, the light and the glory of the people of Israel, he is saying none other than that this baby that he is holding is the glory of God, the merciful, faithful one who's abounding in love, slow to anger, the one who is present with his people. And Simeon rejoices over that one of the things that you need to understand then at christmas time maybe more well all the time but especially at christmas time is and there's a slide that i have this written on is that god's salvation is seen not in strategic plans but in the person of jesus he is the glory of god you might think i gotta study my bible i gotta know it all Studying the Bible is great. Please do, and you're like, okay, I got this page, I got this chapter and in my Bible recap. I know this, and I'm able to diagram this and that. You can do all that, and entirely miss Jesus. The point of the glory of God is not to diagram out some strategic plan of His salvation. It is that His salvation comes to you in person, and we need that desperately. Need. That light is not just a light at the end of the tunnel. It is a light that intrudes into your darkness where God reveals himself and is present with us. Maybe I can communicate it to you this way. There's a, a pastor in Maryland in our denomination, uh, Mike Kangen's his name. He, he told this story about, on his staff, he has a Korean pastor named Tai, And Tai is a faithful servant of the Lord and to their church and staff. And he translates sermon manuscripts into Korean and then teaches Um, the Korean part of their congregation, uh, and teaches many things in in Korean from the ministry of that church. His mother lives in South Korea still, and she's 100 years old. And he goes to visit her from time to time to see her, especially uh, to catch up and when she's ill. Um, And he went recently this year to go see her. And when he returned um, to Maryland, he had dyed his hair from gray to jet black and cut it really short. And Mike says so much so that he was unrecognizable at first. It's like wait, is that that's Ty. And they're like kind of in, in church of the staff in the office going what did you see what, what Ty did? I new look like I'm just trying to look younger. I don't know. So in staff meeting they talked about it and Ty said, "Oh, let me tell you what I, what I did this." He said, "My mother has dementia. She doesn't recognize people anymore at this point. She doesn't recognize me." so I decided to try to make myself look like I did 30 years ago. And it worked. She recognized me and said, Ty, it's you. And it brought such joy to her in the fog of dementia to say, oh, you I know. What happens at Christmas is in the fog of everything going on in your life, Jesus enters the world looking like us and God says, see, I know you and you can know me. Because this is who I am. Light in darkness. Glory in the mundane of a manger. God with us. Emmanuel. Do you see Jesus coming for you? Because my prayer for you today, this season, my prayer for you always, but especially at Christmas time, is that you see God clearly through whatever's going on in your life because you can see Jesus. And so I want you to take your time with family today or tomorrow, maybe it's over dinner or dessert or after opening gifts or many different traditions that you have, but I want you to take time with your family and talk about this. Talk about needing and seeing Jesus. And you might be saying, well, that's what we're doing here. That's why I'm here. Not enough. And here's why. Because if the only time you ever talk with your kids about Jesus is when you come to church, then what they understand is that's where they talk about Jesus. We don't talk about that at home. And that's not the dynamic you're trying to teach or create. And so you've got to talk about it. You don't have to talk about it very long because they're not going to pay attention very long. Maybe you simply ask this question. Is the gift of God better than your gifts you got today? And they'll probably be like, no, I, I don't. Maybe it's hard to believe, but it's better. He's even better than all the things you got today, right? It's just the reminder of saying, "Nope, we don't forget who God is and His gift is even better." So be excited for your gifts today, kids, but be more excited for the gift of God to us in Jesus. And you may be saying to me, "But, but how? How do we see Jesus today?" Because Remember, we are already saying today about how he resurrected, and it's finished, and well, now he's in heaven, so he's not here, so how do I see Jesus? You're saying I need to see Jesus. Well, it's a great question. I want to remind you of something about Simeon, though. We're told that the Spirit gave eyes to Simeon to see Jesus, right? And he was able to see Jesus before he died but did he not believe in this messiah before that? He did. That he lived his whole life waiting, believing, trusting in God that the messiah would come. So Simeon lived his whole life trusting without seeing until the very end. All those people before him who were faithful to God, trusted God without seeing the messiah. There was only a small percentage of the people on the planet who got to actually see the Messiah. But many saw him, thousands upon thousands and ten thousands, right? And then wrote about him and what happened before and after his resurrection. And so many people see him. And we can trust what is given to us by the eyewitnesses to say, we've seen him. And you see Jesus through the testimony of his word through the Spirit working in you like it did in Simeon, saying, yes, believe this. Yeah, this is true. Believe it. And you see it in another way, too. You see it in his followers. You see it in his followers who reflect the light of Jesus, who said, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. And this leads to this third and final point about serving the Savior. Will you put t- verse 29 on the screen for me? I want you to see something here as this starts. Simeon's song starts and he says, Sovereign Lord. Now, this is language that we don't use today in this country because we did away with sovereigns. We don't like those types. Um, We will only have those who are elected uh, by us to serve. But maybe you're into watching the crown or maybe you just love history in general and you know what sovereign means. Sovereign's the ruler, the, the monarch, the one who rules the kingdom, right? And so sovereign Lord is how how Simeon starts us and says this is what you have promised the king the Lord Jesus then we're told is born in the line of David he's born a king that he will cause the rising and falling of many this monarch will what Simeon is saying and what the prophets had said before him is that as Jesus comes and claims his throne It will divide nations. It will divide families. There's no neutrality. You're either with him or you're not. He is the king, the sovereign. And the thing is, is that many people want Jesus as their savior. Yeah, get me out of that river. Thank you. Rescue me. But I don't know that I really want you to be my king. We want Jesus as our savior, but not as our king. And those who will not serve Christ as their king will not have him as their savior to rescue them because he comes born to be the savior king, the sovereign. If you are a Jesus follower, that is, if if you're a Christian, then you are an ambassador of Christ, the king. By definition, Christian means little Christ ones, right? Right? You are a follower of Jesus, you are his representative. If we wanted to keep the theme of of other nations and, and the way they talk about things, we could even say you're his minister, right? The minister of defense, the minister of so forth, right? That's how they're spoken of because they go to do the sovereign's bidding. Ambassadors might be the language that we like to think of. We are the ambassadors and it's not optional. As a Christ follower, you are his ambassador one way or the other. No matter your age, gender, or socioeconomic status. notice the variety of people in the story. Did, did you just like there was lots of names, right? But let's just think back for a second so that you can locate yourself in this story. There's the shepherds, okay? There's the shepherds who we was read about earlier, right? They're in the fields at night and with sheep. And there's a reason that shepherds are in the field at night with sheep because that's like the night shift, and it's like the lowest entry-level job you can get, is like go watch the sheep. Don't let them get away. Okay. And that's what they do. They're not well-respected. Sometimes they're thought of poorly. And um, they're out in the fields. So they're in the country fields. And maybe you identify with the shepherds. And then there's Mary and Joseph. They're small-town people from Nazareth, and now they got to go to Bethlehem to register for the census that the governor required. And um, so they're traveling. they got no money and we know they don't have any money, even though they tried to get into the inn and the inn was full, they had a little bit of money, but not much, because the offering that they make is, is two flying rats, pigeons. Right? Pigeons are everywhere all over the cities. They're like pigeons everywhere. They leave stuff everywhere. The offering for the poor who couldn't afford a, a lamb to be sacrificed is two Pigeons. And that's what they bring, is the two pigeons. So they're small-town people. They don't have a lot of money. And then there's Simeon and Anna. They're both big city people living in Jerusalem in the capital city. They're well along in years. They both have, have lived a good life, probably. They're dedicated, committed, faithful. They're, they show up at temple all the time. They're, they're doing the thing. They're, they're probably well-respected people in the community. And that's what they do. And Anna testifies about Jesus in verses 37 and 38. Let's put those on the screen just so we see this again because this was right at the end of what we read. And then was a widow until she was 84. Uh, By the way, scholars debate this. She's either like over 100 or 84. And it depends if, in the language, the way it's written, is if she's married seven years and then a widow for 84 years after her marriage. Or if she lived until she was 84 years. Either way, she's lived a long time. And she is faithful to go to the temple and pray. Um, she's, in fact, described, remembered as one who is dedicated, committed to be there and to worship and pray. Commits herself to prayer. I mean, that is the power source of the church. Prayer. It is. Because what is prayer fundamentally saying? We need help. Help! We need help down here. This is what we're saying. Help us, please. And when God hears that, he's like, yeah, I help. I love to help. It's what I do. It's my glory is to come to you in your time and to be of help to you. And we have women in this church who pray. This church exists in part because of a woman who prayed. She died a couple of weeks ago. I don't know how old she was. I think in her 90s. Her name is Marie Watson. She took me to lunch one day, and she said, Andrew, I want you to read this book. She put a book on the table, and it was a book on prayer. She said, we don't pray enough. we got to be people who pray more. So I started praying. Then God started saying, you need to go play in a church. And I was like, "Mm, I don't know about that. I don't know about starting any churches. That sounds kind of crazy to me. I kept praying, and anyway, Spring Run exists because the Spirit of God works in everybody's life and through people who pray. And in this church, there's people who pray, women who gather regularly to pray, men who gather and pray. Um, One of the direct results uh, that we're seeing is of the growth in this church right now is because people are praying. People gather regularly at Bev Tuttle's home to pray. They gather regularly here at church to pray. And they're praying and they're testifying about Jesus, saying, "Yes, we pray, and we are praying for God to do this great thing." And that's when God shows up, and says, oh, "All right." And Simeon says at one point. So Simeon's an old man, also, and we know this because he says, um, "Now dismiss your servant." In verse 29, Sovereign Lord, as you promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. Simeon is not asking to retire, he's asking to go to heaven. He's old and he's along in years, and he's like, The Spirit promised, Lord, you promised me that that I would see the Messiah. Now I have. That's the culmination of all of my life. I'm ready to go to heaven. Take me when you're ready. Now it doesn't say that he is taken then, he may have to wait longer. The reason I bring this up is don't confuse this to say like, oh, I did my job and now, now I'm done. I don't have to be an ambassador anymore. That's not what it's saying. It's not saying he got his early retirement plan here from Christianity. It's not what it's saying. Again, I'm not talking about your work and retirement. Like you can work and make a good living and retire early and that's great. That's not wrong. You don't retire from being an ambassador of Jesus. This is something that many of you know my dad who was here for years who, he still leads Bible studies and teaches. Like, he can't stop doing it. Because that's what he does. It's what God called him to do. And he's 85. He's like, I just keep doing this. I don't know until I die. There's no retirement from Christianity. Now, there's promotion. We get to go to heaven. We get to go to heaven and be with Jesus. With all those who have gone before us and will come after us. You and I get to live there forever. That's glorious. And I'm so encouraged by people in this church because there are many people who have time and, and aren't retiring as ambassadors. Instead, they're serving. They're serving in prison ministry. They're serving at real life or serving at step or serving here, teaching Sunday school or cutting grass or uh, putting together a Christmas, uh, Operation Christmas Child shoe boxes. You guys are doing a lot of things saying, we are ambassadors of Christ. And that's encouraging to me. So thank you for doing that. And in doing that is one of the ways people get to see Jesus because you let your light shine. You let your light shine. And people get to see Jesus with you as ambassadors. Let me leave you with this text uh, from Matthew 25 where Jesus is talking. And he says, This is the parable of the sheep and the goats. And he says, Then the righteous will answer him. Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you as a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The, the king, the sovereign, will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. In other words, you were my ambassador. You were my light. You were the one shining forth. So you and I, we get to see this in serving Jesus. We get to be light for others to be able to see Jesus and to encourage one another in it. Because you and I, we need a savior. We've seen the savior. We've read about the savior. The spirit has convinced us in our hearts, yes, the savior is true. Believe it and serve him as the sovereign. Dilip Joseph is a doctor who trained healthcare workers in Afghanistan during the war time. He went several times. In fact, on his 10th trip, he uh, is surrounded by Taliban forces and taken captive. He was later rescued. In an interview, he talks about being rescued, and he said, I felt totally forsaken and alone until that night I heard gunshots, and I knew it was Americans. And it was a SEAL team who had been sent to rescue him. And in the rescue, one of the SEALs was killed, saving the man's life and he was posthumously awarded the navy cross his citation reads this way realizing the taliban guards had been alerted and the hostages life was in imminent danger chief petty officer check unhesitatingly sprinted to the door and made entry his bravery and unhesitant commitment in the pursuit of the target was pivotal in saving the american hostage In the interview, Dr. Joseph says, it's hard to live with the knowledge that someone died to save your life. And then he says, the best you can do is to honor him through your life. And you see, this is what Christmas is about. If Jesus is your sovereign savior, how do you honor him? What we see today the way that they did it, is they rejoiced. They praised God, and then they told others about him. They were his ambassadors, saying, you got to hear this. you got to know about this. You're all giving gifts, right? Today or tomorrow or next week, whenever you're doing it. Give the gift of Jesus. Tell others about him. Let your light shine before the world. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you will help us to be... Your followers, because the truth is, we cannot do it of our own strength. We desperately need you as our Savior, and we trust in you as our Savior. We pray that you will, in fact, work in our lives that we would joyfully serve you as ambassadors. And Lord, one of the difficulties in that is that we often feel guilty. We feel like failures and bear shame. And so, in the midst of that, would you not let the enemy speak lies to us to say we're no good? to say the king doesn't want you anymore, because that's not true. You came to us, God. You pursued us. You chased us down that river, and you rescued us. So Lord, help us to know that we are loved, delighted in by you, because of your glory that is seen in Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen.